2: You're listening to the WRAP Podcast, the Welsh Regional Rugby Appreciation Pod, where we try to cover all the important issues on and off the field in Welsh regional and national rugby. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, all of that information is at the end, so you'll just have to bear with us and get to that bit. In the meantime, enjoy this week's show. Hello and good evening to another bonus pod from RAP, the Welsh Regional Rugby Appreciation Pod uh, with myself, Lee G, and joining me as always is Jamie. Good evening, James. Good evening. And our special guest this evening is uh, Hugh Jones from the Cardiff Trust, the CF10. Good evening, Hugh. Good evening, Lee. Good evening, Jamie. Good
0: evening.
2: Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's okay. it's nice to have somebody on that's got a lot of experience and a lot of understanding of of some of the more kind of some of the shadier parts of the not the shadier parts of the game, but the parts of the game that most of us don't get to see. So it's it's nice to have you on board for this evening, Hugh. So there's some we're we're obviously here the 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 amount of stuff that's been going on in Welsh rugby over the last couple of weeks. Um yeah, absolutely insane. So jane take take us where, take us through everything give us a <laughs> give us a jamie overview of where we are and, and where we're up to
1: well i'll try my best but i mean there's so much going on in the minute i've lost track of it all <laughs> it's just ridiculous isn't it? it's one yeah. thing after the other. very well sure, it really is there's never a normal day is there okay so um just a quick overview then so On Tuesday evening, a story emerged in the Daily Mail that the Wales players were considering strike action for the England match. This is down to the uncertainty of contracts and a new financial deal, which still hasn't been officially rubber-stamped. So the heads of terms has been agreed, but it still hasn't been rubber-stamped and signed and sealed. Uh, In the story, it did mention a Wales player which was unnamed, um, currently on antidepressants to cope with the stress, and another player having a mortgage offer turned down because he's soon to be out of contract. Um, Pretty sad state of affairs, I'm sure you agree. Then on Wednesday afternoon, the players met with the WIU's interim chief exec, Nigel Walker, at the Fairleigh Morgan training base, and he issued a series of demands, which included scrapping the 60 cap rule, removing the fixed favourable element from contracts, which accounts for 20% of salaries, and giving players a seat at the table of the professional rugby board meetings. Wales players have set the WRU a deadline of next Wednesday to end this contractual chaos. On Wednesday evening, another story emerged that the players stood up and walked out of a a sponsor's dinner at the Parkgate Hotel. And we had a press conference today in which Ron Gatman said he supported the players, but not strike action. So that's a rough sort of uh, <laughs> overview of, of rough... where we are. There's quite a lot going on there. We'll talk more about other stories emerge because it's the whole Elin um, Merge rumour yeah, going intro, around. Thanks, I'm sure we'll yeah. talk about Yeah, we will come on to that later. But basically, that's the state of play of where we are at the it's... moment. So, yeah, quite a lot to unpack there, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Well, Hugh, what, what do you make of, of the goings-on of the last, well, couple of months really but certainly the last couple of weeks well what have you made of it
0: well we're in a, a really terrible situation at the moment in Welsh rugby and when you're in these types of situations as, as jamie is as intimated there it's not usually because of one reason when you get um, a disaster of some kind it's a natural disaster, a problem, disaster within an organisation. It's usually as a result of many factors coming together at the same time—a um, perfect storm, as they like to call it—and I think that's what we've got here at the moment. Um, you know, we in, it initially has started off from the cultural problems, and that was the real thing that hit the headlines for most people. But of course, in the background, the stuff that we've known about are the financial problems, and they've been going on for years and years and years. And I suspect WRU executive and the board probably thought, well, you know, we've passed all the risk onto the regions. Um, those, they will have to cave in sometime in terms of our demands. We'll just sit tight because we've got nothing to lose because we've passed all our risk on to them and they passed it on to the players because of the cuts that are going to be needed. So I think that's where they probably thought. I think they got complacent and they got arrogant about the situation. And, of course, these things then started breaking in the press. And once they start breaking, they're very, very difficult to control organisationally, and we're now in a situation where the chief exec who should have been leading all of this has gone. Uh, we've got a relatively new chair there who's very inexperienced in these matters. We've got a board which isn't capable of either challenging or supporting uh, the executive in doing this. So there is a huge leadership vacuum in Westgate Street at the moment. So they are going on from one catastrophe to another one. And, you know, we'll see it for the next few days and, and, and whatever, more and more stories will break, more and more threats will be made, more and more of these issues will be aired in, in public. And the worst thing is nobody's grabbing hold of it and start trying to resolve the problem. And I think that is the big worry for us. The complete lack of leadership which currently exists within Welsh rugby. Now, I'm sure at some point, maybe well at this point in time, we'll get on to so what should be done because that's that's the that's the question in terms of in terms of all of this. Is what is it that should be done at the moment, and would they actually do it?
2: That's that's the massive question, Mm. isn't it? It's I I think when when certainly when people look at it and when you say about the stuff that's in the press you you never get the full story from stuff that goes out into the press you never get the full you know all the background all the data because it's just like you say there are so many small bits that feed into it so we're living in this kind of top level populist kind of information vacuum where there's there's no real detail to what's Uh, You know, somebody will say something, but the the detail behind it isn't really there. And that leads to a a lack of trust in, you know, people like Yian Evans and, and Nigel Walker, where they'll say something, but we're so used to people saying something and then nothing happening. You know, we were told in in December that everything was cushy. Don't worry about it, boys. It'll it'll be all right. We'll have this sorted by January. We we're told in January yeah, it's coming. It's coming. We're now halfway through February. We're looking at March before anything. And you know, it just—I don't blame the players and and from going to the press because what else have they got to do? You know, how else? Yeah,
0: do they get- One, I, You're you're absolutely right there. One of the things that I've called for many many years now. Um, and I called for it uh, again the last time that I was on um, a meeting of JSG with uh, the Welsh Rugby Union and I said to Steve Phillips and Mark Killingly at that time you need to be more open and transparent about what happens at yep. PRB people need to know what's actually going on here um, and you know we had some platitudes. You know, oh yeah yeah we did we do a uh, but nothing actually happened as a, as a result of that. And, you know, I said to I said, to myself, you guys are more secret, you know, than anybody else I know. You know, even MI5 and MI6 are more open than you. you know, <laughs> even, even the government publishes, you know, notes of... Um, the minutes of its meetings, we don't, not only don't we know what is that, you know, what has been discussed, we don't know what you're going to discuss. You don't even publish the agendas and things mm-hmm. there. You know, what have you got to hide in all of this? Now, if they were a, a PLC, public limited company, you could understand that. You'd have to be careful because whatever you say could affect your share price, which basically means the wealth of, of, of people and the wealth of shareholders, but they're not, they're not PLCs, all of them are private companies, they're not quoted on the stockage, it doesn't matter what happens, the worst thing that could happen is a bit of embarrassment, that somebody might sort of say, oh, look what they said in that meeting, look what that line naturally says, that's the worst thing that could actually happen, but of course, to them, that's a terrible situation, Rather than actually think that there are huge benefits from being open and transparent about these things. And of course, now we're in this situation, particularly with the players, because of this lack of openness and transparency, that there's a huge loss of trust and confidence because they don't know what's going on. They keep on being told something, deadlines disappear. They don't see anything coming out. They're not consulted, they're not involved. So of course, they're really, ununderstandably, very, very worried at the moment. And no wonder they're now coming out and, you know, making, you know, these pronouncements about potential strike action and whatever. The only thing that's really surprising is that this didn't happen a lot earlier. You know, yeah. and it might have been better if they'd have done it a lot earlier than when the, when they've actually done it. Because the problem is, if all the regional sites and all the regional players, every professional player in Wales wants to go on strike. Then they have to go through the proper processes because there are le- there's legislation that governs strike action against employers. You have to form confidential ballot. It has to be postal. There has to be scrutiny of it. You have to publish the results. There has to be over 50 percent of people who actually support it, etc., etc., etc. You have to give two weeks notice to your employer that um, you're going on strike so of course by the time they do that the seasons going to be over really you know the WIU would look at that and say, okay let them go on strike it's, it's not going to have much impact there's a couple of URC games maybe left over but it's not going to make a huge amount of difference but what will make difference of course is the internationals because the international situation is very, very different. It's the root of all the finance, of the majority of the finance, that actually comes into the game. And in that, the players are not employed by the WIG. So they don't have to go through those processes, because they're not taking action against their employers. All they're doing is the, the Welsh team is an invitational team. You get invited, you get selected to play, and you choose whether you wish to do it or not. There's no contract that governs it in that regard. So, all they need to do is to say, Thanks very much for the invite. Uh, I don't want to play a week on Saturday against uh, against England. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving the hotel. Mm. And there's nothing that could be done about it.
1: Yeah, Can you and the repercussions would be huge, wouldn't they? Sorry, they just it, think the repercussions enormous, of that enormous. It would be massive. Yeah. Really yeah. would. they
0: would be there'd be obviously a huge PR disaster for the Wru, but a huge yeah. financial disaster for everybody. You know mm. that would create uh, an even bigger hole in Welsh rugby finances than the ones yeah. we've got at the moment. You know, if you think the hole is deep at the moment, it's going to be so much deeper after that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the players are the ones that would even suffer. You know, they're not going to start the cutbacks, you know, by cutting, you know, sort of lunch down from four courses to three courses. You know, it's going to be player contracts. It's going to be all the numbers in the squads yeah. and how much players get actually paid.
2: But can mm-hmm. you see that actually happening here? Can you, can you see those players actually getting to a point where they say, you know, uh, and and uh, you know, let's not forget, a Welsh cap is something that most of us have dreamt about since the first time we could walk in the back garden and our dad threw a rugby ball at us. You know, to get to that point, particularly if if you're at the start of your career and that might be your first cap, you know, um, Mason Grady or someone like that. You know, um, can you see them turning around and saying, "Actually, yeah, I'm not going to do this"?
0: I think the interesting thing is that the if you go down to the bookies, like some odds and things, the odds are against them doing it. And bookies are rarely wrong in these matters. My own personal opinion is, I don't think they'll do it. And if they sort have of said to me, "Hey, do you think we should do it?" I'd be saying, "Well, no, I don't think you should. I don't think you should for a couple of reasons. I think, firstly, uh, you will make the financial situation." In Welsh rugby, so much deeper, and it will affect you. It will only affect you. It won't affect anybody else. It'll affect, you know, some some other people, you know, admin staff within the regions and things. It's not going to affect the Wru. It'll affect them in PR terms. Um, it may well affect them in terms of sponsors' views. But I think they've actually made their point really well, um, and I don't think there's, there's anything really for them to gain. From actually going on strike when it comes to the England game
2: hmm. it's a it's a massive but even the fact that they've got this far where they are even discussing it yeah i i remember the first time this was um you know players going on strike was discussed um twenty years ago, something like that it wasn't long after everybody went professional, and you would have thought that we'd have learned by by what's what we've been through you know of all the turmoil that that encapsulates Welsh rugby you'd have thought by now that somebody in the WRU would would have been going right let's just let's just stop the soap opera and and let's just do the rugby bit really really well but we don't seem to have learned
0: no, that's right and that and that's really the job of the senior management and the board you know people should have been asking those sorts of questions but they haven't been, and that's been the problems with the governance of the Welsh Rugby Union for many, many years. You know, being on the WIU board for many has just been seen as a perk, not a responsibility. Um, you know, and it's it's a nearly a hundred million pound business, as, as people keep on quoting. And to do that properly requires a lot of challenge of people, you know, challenge for you know big decisions you know, and keeping keeping the executive honest. I don't mean as in diso- not being dishonest. I mean getting them to focus on the things that they should be focused upon, even when they don't think it's an issue. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're a, a senior manager, it's very easy. To, ah, that's fine. It's all in hand. Don't worry about it. And actually boards are there no, 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 we're worried about this. We need some reassurance about this. Not just you sort of saying, don't worry about it. You know, we want to see this issue being addressed. So, you know, boards are very, very important in terms of, you know, the challenges and the support that they actually bring to the executive. And it's a really good thing, you know, that that plans to be changed, you know, on the 26th of March, hopefully.
2: If we make make it that far. (laughs) (laughs) On, Do David. you think the clubs...
1: Yeah, so I was just going to ask you on about the, the match. This is the EGM, isn't it? So are you confident, too, that the clubs are going to vote in favour this time? I mean, they have to, surely. What are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I, I think they will. I think, you know, the fact that we got to two-thirds of the clubs last time, I thought was hugely positive. You know, that's a lot of clubs when you think it was about 320 or something like that. Um, that's a huge number of them that were prepared to support this. I think now, you know, any club that doesn't support those changes after what we've seen over this last, you know, three or four weeks really does need to go and sit in a dark corner and ask itself some serious questions, yeah. you know, because, right, right. you know, it's you know otherwise we ain't going to be around. You know, Welsh rugby isn't going to exist, isn't going to exist. You know, and Nigel was absolutely right. You know, it it, it is an existential moment.
2: So, what do you say to people? And, and you know, I've kind of been in this this kind of camp myself for uh, various times. But people who say, you know, it's it's all just it's all just fluff. It's all just you know, nothing's actually going to happen. Players aren't going to go on strike. A new deal will happen, and it's just. You know, it's it's just uh, something to occupy the papers for a couple of weeks. You know, that's, that's where I started off when all of this started kicking off. And I'm, I'm in a very different place now because it, it does seem very real now. Am, am I right to be thinking it's, it's real or was I right in the first place?
0: Well, no, I think it is very, very real. I, I think the, the problem that we're in at the moment is... Um, you know, there's obviously the whole cultural issue that needs to be sorted out, and the clubs need to vote. Um, you know, and and hopefully that will happen. But the financial situation is really dire. You know, when you think back prior to COVID, um, the the collective amount that was going to go to uh, the regions uh, at that time, what they were getting was 23 million, and they had a planned figure. This is a WIU planned figure. Of the regions of 26 million. You know, next season we're actually talking about 18, 19 million. And that's a huge gap. Mm. That's a huge gap to fill. Yeah. You know, and that's and we, we don't really know why that is, you know, whether it's as a re- result of the WIU forecasting huge revenues, whether it's because the WIU are going to spend some of that money somewhere else or whether um, it's because they're not prepared to cut their costs. And it's probably a mixture of all of those things, why, why the regions aren't getting uh, what they're going to get, what they should be getting. But the problem in all of this is the contract between the regions and the Welsh Rugby Union called the PRA, the Professional Rugby Agreement. And that is a risk reward contract. So that when Welsh Rugby does really well and huge amounts of money are flowing into the Wru, whether it's for sponsorship, commercial, CVC, whatever, good times for Welsh Rugby, the regions will benefit from that money when the WIU creams off money for the stadium for its own costs, etc. But of course, When the bad times come, the regions suffer. And that's what happened at the time of COVID. You know, the income of the WRU fell dramatically. And the regions only had, was a 3.5 million plus an extra 2 million that um, Steve Phillips found in the coffers. So they had 5 million between them. Plus the loan that Steve Phillips managed to, negotiate and then renegotiate with the uh, Welsh Government, which the regions have to pay back, not the WIU. So the regions are in a terrible contract at the moment because whatever happens, the WIU can't lose. It passes on all its risk down to the regions. And even the latest contract they talked about, signing the heads of terms for, which is of pre-contract, even that continues with the same principles and philosophy that the old one does. Some of the details have changed, but it's actually worse because not only are the regions carrying all the risk, but there's a requirement in there for benefactors to sign contracts to underwrite the regions. And not only must they underwrite the regions, if the region's Aren't bringing in sufficient income on things themselves, or if they overspend, but they also have to underpin the WIU. If the WIU doesn't generate enough money to give to the regions, so the WIU are in no no lose situation. You know what if you had an employer that said that to you? You know, they sort of said, "Well, you know, if if we haven't got enough money within our organization to give to you for your salary, you've actually got to go off and find a member of your family to um, to give you the money mm. so that they don't lose out. You know, it is a crazy contract. Now, at the time, the Regents thought it was a really good contract. But, of course, now, they can't get out of it because, you know, they're in a bind with the WRU. The, you know, Steve Phillips basically says, well, there's a draft contract. Take it or leave it, boys. That's what's on the table. I'm not negotiating anything else.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned benefactors there, who I'm sure you read the piece in the Times of Sam Warburton. Um, I'll just read out the quote for those who weren't away. But um, he said this, I know for certain the last month, if it hadn't been for the generosity of the long-term benefactor, Peter Thomas, in helping pay players and staff, Cardiff would have followed Wasps and Worcester into administration. I'm also pretty sure that at least one of the other regions has been in the same boat and has been similarly saved in the short term. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? The fact that Cardiff were just, you know, very nearly on the verge of following Boston, wasn't yeah. it? its very stark, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's basically true of all of the regions except except the Dragons, mm. because the Dragons are bailed out by the W.I.U. of course. But I think yeah. that's true of all of them. Um, you know, we, we can argue about whether they were a week or fortnight away from going into administration, but all of them are in that position. And that's a terrible state of affairs to actually be in. And it's not because yeah. of poor management within the regions. You know, I think that's that's the thing that we have to be careful of, is that there will be this rhetoric that will come out of the WIU. And you saw it in some of the state party statement that came out that attributed to Malcolm Wall's name. I said, "Ah, oh, well, the regions and the WIU have been overspending on salaries for a long time. Well, actually, that's not true. It's, it's not true because post-project reset, where the benefactors wrote off a lot of their um, uh, loans to the uh, to the regions, they were breaking even. It's only COVID that changed things, and at that time." The WIU couldn't, well, they refused to actually bail out the regions, even though there's a, a clause in the, the PRA that allowed them to actually do it. They could have gone through the board of the WIU and said, listen, you know, we can't leave the regions in this situation where they pick up the tab for everything, you know. There's a force majeure clause in here, which is as if the disaster hits, that, you know, we can help them if we want to. But they chose not to. Is it? No, no, we're not going to do that. We'll continue to have a situation whereby the regions have to pick the tab up themselves. Mm. So it's it's a terrible, terrible contract.
2: Yeah. And then are we are we entering into a, another six years of this? Yeah, I'll go back. Well, to certainly of another couple. Certainly,
0: yeah, certainly another few years. All this is going to do. Is paper over the cracks for a couple of years, and we will struggle. You know, we'll struggle to survive. We're not going to be able to compete on the pitch because the salary cap will come into play. We'll have reduced squad sizes. Salaries will actually go down as a result of all of this, and you know, we'll be left as the the poor man of the URC. You know, we, we may even start struggling. You know. Benetton have already improved quite significantly. You know, mm. we we all could be at the bottom yeah. as a result of as a result of all of this. You know, because players will get dragged off, the best women will get dragged off to Team Wales, Rugby World Cup in a, a few months. Who are we going to be left with? You know, a few Academy players and a few of our best regional players, but there's not going to be many of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because a lot of people will say, oh, it'll be a good thing having more of our youngsters in our squads, you know, it will free up space for academy and development. And I think, well, OK, that's all good and well, but then you have to expect the teams not to be as competitive. You know, you can't expect them to compete at the top table if they're, you know, filled with youngsters and inexperienced. If they lose all their best players... expect the teams to be competitive. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, we want to see more youngsters, more development, but we've got to be competitive as well. And we're not at the moment. And the previous we won't be going forward either. Yeah. And it, you
0: know, it it takes years to build these guys up. You know, you have a look at Rhys Carey now. He's been he's been a great player. And he's and he will be a, a great player. You know, but it's taken him a while and he's still very much learning, still very much maturing. And there's quite a few players like that, you know, Cardiff. Owen Williams will be a superb player. He needs to bulk up a bit more and things, but absolutely fantastic and things in the lineup. But at the moment, he doesn't have the weight uh, and the strength at international level, I suspect. That's why we haven't seen him to date. So, you know, all of this takes time. You know, we've got players coming through, Jacob Beathen. His ACL and things recently. Cameron Winnett in the under twenties. You know, so there there are some yeah. really good players around. You know, and it does annoy me sometimes when I, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, you know, the regions aren't producing anything through the academies. Actually, you no, know, it's just not true. But it no. takes time. It takes time to get these players to maturity.
2: Certainly, Yeah. But they're going to be in a situation now where they almost have to. You know, over the next couple of years, they're going to rely heavily on on academy players coming through. You know, look at Scarlets. Uh, you know, we, uh, this week we lost Calma Um yeah. uh Blade Thompson's retired today, and you know, rumours are a wash of nearly every overseas player not staying beyond the end of their contract with us. You know, and then you look at okay, who we got coming through. And you go, OK, well, we might have a few holes filled here and there, but nowhere near what we need to make a squad, you know. And, no, that's right. And a competitive team. squad. Yeah. And and it takes, you know, five, ten years sometimes to bring a – you sign a player at 16 to mm. get him through his peak career at 26. That's a lot of investment in a player to come through and, and a lot of time and a lot of patience to, to bring him through. And we're going to need to do it in the next two years you know Mm. that's right it's scary stuff scary scary stuff so talking about players then I mean we've all seen the stories uh, in the press on on players what's how how are players being protected through this it it doesn't look like there's any um, help for players through this at all you know Jamie you were saying earlier about Jack Dixon and you know, um, due to have a baby, but his wife is. I'd be shocked if he did, but, you know, he's he's due to become a father. His contract ends at the end of this season. And he's like, you know, does he want to play between now and the end of the season? If he gets injured, that might be the end of his career. And baby, no house, everything, you know. You know how how do we help players from where we are now?
0: Yeah, I. the, the problem is, you know, we shouldn't be where we are now. There, you know, all organisations go through a situation where you have to make cuts at some time. When I was Chief Executive Sport Wales, when we had the, the financial problems in uh, 2008, the financial crash, the Welsh Government's funding was reduced and they had to reduce funding to other public bodies. And we got reduced by about, heading for about 25% over three years. And I sort of said to the board, you know, my view is that we need to protect sport out there. So we cannot be seen to protect ourselves, first of all. We have to be, protect, be seen to protect the governing bodies. who are delivering excellence. And people who are working at grassroots throughout Wales creating opportunities for people. If we protect ourselves, people would just rightly say, oh, all, you, all you're doing is protecting administrators and peg pushers and whatever. So that was agreed. The next thing I did was speak to the staff and say, listen, this is the financial situation. This is what we're going to have to do over the next three years. Now, we can spread it over three years or we can make the cuts now. And everybody knows where they will be. And almost unanimously, people just sort of said, "Do it now." At least we know where we'll be. You know, for next year, if we lose our jobs or whatever, at least we'll know that. And that's what we did. You know, we were open. I showed them all the finances. We had further meetings. People sort of said, "Is there any way that we can generate more income, etc., cetera, etc.?" Cetera. And we went through all of those sort of things. But we went through a process where we involved people so that they knew, you know, they obviously didn't like it, but hopefully, you know, they trusted us that we were actually being open and honest with them in terms of what we knew. But that situation is missing in Welsh rugby. You know, people don't know what's been happening. They, they haven't been involved. They haven't been consulted. You know, if they were told last autumn, listen, we're going to have to make dramatic cuts to squad numbers, this is what each will be looking at. There's going to have to be cuts to salaries. You know, this is how we need to involve you in these discussions or whatever. They might have said, "Well, we don't like it." They said, "Well, what are the alternatives? This is the money we have. You know, the money is the money we can't generate anymore. You know, we're trying to be open and honest with you. Most people in those sorts of circumstances are reasonable because nothing would be hidden." from them, you know, not as if they were ferreting money away in some reserves account and giving it to shareholders and, and whatever. You know, the situation that you see with, you know, the the rail unions, you know, are always complaining that the rail managers and things are giving more, you know, giving money to the uh, to the shareholders, not the workers and things. That that situation doesn't exist very much, Welsh rugby. Really. So they needed openness and honesty and they didn't get that. So now, of course, they are really worried now, and we're coming down to the wire.
1: Yeah, this is what Bradley Davis was saying yesterday, the Osprey's lock. He was saying, look, this isn't actually about money. It's about players being left in the dark and we're not yeah. consulted about anything. And that's what it comes back to, isn't it? The transparency and the non knowing and players just left in limbo, no knowing what's going on, not being informed of the situation.
0: Yeah. And things like that, just aren't good enough, you know. And and that comes down to leadership, at the end of the day. There's there's no other word for it. That's leadership. Leadership saying we need to we need to treat people properly. You know, people are our main asset at the end of the day. You know, it's not it's not the money that we move around in the box that's important. It's people. It's people that make things happen. It's people that go out onto the pitch. And drive the income for us. You know, it's people that risk their their lives, literally, and their livelihoods by putting their bodies under the line. It's people that make things happen in our communities in terms of getting people involved in rugby. You know, we have to put people first. But of course, they didn't. You know, what they did was they put confidentiality discussions behind closed doors and things first. And I'm sure they did it for good reason. A lot of people said, "Oh, you know, we, we don't want to worry people. We don't. We, we don't want them to worry. Um, you know, let's just sort this out, and then then we'll talk to them." That's the worst possible thing you can ever do, because these things go on, and all it does is develop rumours. You know, because there's no such thing as confidentiality, much should it be. It it just doesn't, things things (laughs) leak out, things leak out, documents leak out, people send them to other people and say, what do you think of this? Give me some comments. Journalists send things there. They get hold of things. You know, so you may as well be open and honest because you know what's going to happen. It's going to leak out. So control the message, control the agenda by actually being open and honest with people. Because then if somebody says something different, you know, you can say to people like the place, well, there you we gave you the documents last week. You know, you, you've you seen them. You can go tell them that, you know, they're wrong because you've got the documents. Show them. Of course, they can't yeah. do that.
2: But that goes all <laughs> the way down... The the pyramid from, you know, when the, the when that's the, uh, the the culture that the the Wru sets and this is how we do things, you know, and then it it does it filters down and you you don't see it in all clubs, but you can certainly um, identify it in certain clubs, or you can see certain people in certain clubs who will have been doing this for twenty five thirty years in some cases, that have very much have that kind of attitude that. You know, I know best, and I'm not telling anyone, and this is staying with me. And if you don't like it, there's the door, that sort of a thing. And there's no, but when it's that far down the system, you know, that's how much Welsh rugby needs to change. And it's a massive task. I don't think we, I don't think as a general public (laughs) and as a set of supporters, we understand how much change is needed how many clubs and how many people are going to be affected not not by the money side of it that's that's something that's happened, but the cultural side of it and the way we do things in Welsh rugby has been screaming out for this for so long and in, in a way this might you know actually we might actually come out of this in a better place where so much stuff has to change that's a good thing you're, but we shouldn't you're absolutely
0: you're absolutely spot on with it. um We are in, you know, that is the culture. You know, when I think back, you know, I grew up in a culture of tell. You know, my father told me what to do. I went to school. Teachers told me what to do. No consultation. You know, this is what you do. My first job, boss told me what to do. You know, there was no involvement. There was no, well, what do you think, Hugh? Nobody ever said that. Is, well, this is what we're going to do and this is what you're going to do. You might think, hang on a minute, I don't think that's a good idea. And, uh, you know, you'd say, well, what about this? Listen, just get on with the job, with it. You know, that's that's what I've decided, get on with it. It's a really old-fashioned culture that exists. You know, and you see that in in all areas and and because of that type of culture, that old-fashioned culture, it's manifested itself in terms of, you know, the treatment of women and, um, you know, uh, and all sorts of other minorities and things. And that's why the WIU is in all sorts of problems and things on the cultural side. Now, it needs a massive change there, um, and that that then will hopefully be reflected down through the clubs. But as you said, that's going to take years to change. Yeah.
1: And um who do you have any faith or confidence in Nigel Walker and Ian Evans? I know they haven't been in the post that long, but do you have any confidence they can turn this around? Um I don't think they can turn it. I think they can
0: deliver the changes that are required. And I think credit to them and particularly to Nigel on how he's handled the cultural issues. I think he's handled that really yeah. well. And I, I worked with Nigel years ago at Sport Wales. Um, and Nigel is a good guy and he's a decent guy. Um, and he's a nice guy. And that's how he comes over. Um, so I think he will deliver that. The financial problems, I don't think they will. I don't think that they have the vision to move away from the problems that we have at the moment. And going back to where I started, you know, in terms of. This, this discussion and, and what needs to be done. I think somebody at the WIU needs to turn around and say, right, okay, the only way that we're going to resolve this is by developing trust and confidence with our main partners, with the regions and with uh, the players, because trying to tell them, paper over the cracks, come to a new agreement, heads of terms and whatever, that does not develop trust and confidence. There's a yeah. an old there's an old story. If I can just sort of divert slightly from this, point, and I'll come back to that that particular point. I don't know if you've seen it on The West Wing. Um, one of the the guys in The West Wing, he's in a, a difficult uh, situation, and Leo McGarry, the uh, uh, the chief of staff at the White House, sort of tells him a story. He says. There's a guy in a hole, and he's sitting in this hole, and he can't get out. And he hears a passerby, and he says, "Passerby, passerby, can you help me? Can you help me? I'm in this hole." The passerby says, "Yeah, yeah, says, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a man of the cloth. Um, I can pray for you." So he writes down this prayer and throws it into the hole. All oh, right. Okay. Next minute, he hears another passerby come along. Passerby, passerby, can you help me? Can you help me? I'm stuck in this hole. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a doctor. I can help you." Writes him a prescription, folds it up, and throws it in the hole. And a third passerby comes along. He says, "Passerby, passerby, can you help me?" He says, "Yeah, I can, my friend. I said I know you. You're my friend." And he jumps into the hole. And he says, "What are you doing?" What are you doing? You know, we're both in the hole now. We're both stuck in the hole. And he says, yeah, he says, but he says, "We might. I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. Hmm. And that's what they need. They need a yeah. friend. They need friends that can help them get out of the hole. They need to develop that trust and confidence with people who can help them get out of the hole. And to start with, they need to sit around and PR Right, let's get rid of this PRA document that puts all of the uh, risk onto you financially. Let's come up with another simple model for two years or whatever, so that you can develop some trust and confidence in us that we're all in this hole together, that we're all going to help each other, and how can we actually get out of it? And I think that would make a mega difference to start things off. And if they were then transparent with the the regions and with the players about where they're going and how they're going to, have to work, how they're going to work together and how they're going to involve people and how they're going to consult people, they'll develop that trust and confidence to move forward. But without that, then they ain't got, they ain't got any friends at the moment. I have not found anybody or seen anybody who's had a good word to say to you on twitter or facebook everybody piles into them they need friends big time
2: yeah absolutely they understand that you say there is not a lot of um, there's not a lot of friends coming forward for them are there I and that's kind of like, it's it is the hole they've dug themselves over many many years and i think that's when we you know we we talk to a lot of fans we talk to a lot of, of of supporters and yeah that whole it's almost like a wearing down process over such a long time and you get to this point and yeah people just haven't got the positivity to give it back you know we're just sitting there and you know we 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 do it every week we sit there we we we'll, we'll talk about rugby and we're trying to find a positive bit and what we were saying this week, weren't we, Jamie? It's just you know, where do you find the positivity in, in what's going on at the minute? You know, it's really difficult for fans. It's difficult for players. It's difficult for clubs. We, you know, where do you begin to start getting getting yourself out?
0: Yeah, and you need that trust and confidence because it's only with that that you can actually work together. Um, and and you've got to you know you've got to have that. And you've got to develop as a result of that trust and confidence, good working relationships, where you get goodwill as a result of it, you know, where people are actually turning around and saying, you know, as, as they were saying about this podcast, you know, unless people turn around and say, hey, listen, Jamie and Lee are good guys, you know, yeah. You know, they may have got a couple of those podcasts wrong, but actually a lot of the other stuff in the background, you know, they've done a lot of really good stuff. They've got some really good ideas. You know, they want to work with people. They're listening and things. Yeah, you know, we need to stick by them and keep on running with them. You know, until you've got that goodwill as a result of the trust and confidence that you develop, you can't go anywhere. And, of course, what happened with the WRU was they had no goodwill. And Steve Phillips, personally, you know, he didn't have goodwill. Nobody spoke up for him except Ian Evans. He was the only person who spoke up for him. Everybody yeah. else piled into him, and he couldn't survive on that basis because he had no goodwill.
1: He tried his best, though, didn't he? He did try his best to cling on, <laughs> yeah, Mr <he> did. Phillips. <laughs> yeah, he did.
2: Yeah. it was yeah. the best. The best bit about what you just said, there, Hugh, is—I think you've listened to some of our early stuff. <laughs>
0: yeah, I didn't mean it
2: literal. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's a good one. Well, Hugh, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this evening, and um, you know I'm sure all of our listeners will uh, will be listening to this over and over again because it's just so much stuff to to, to get out. Um, so, my final question to you before we uh, before we bid you farewell let's let's assume Wales are going to play England in a couple of weeks' time. What's your what's your score prediction on that one? <laughs> it's a different one, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, put it like this: I can't see us winning. I think with everything that's gone on, I think it would be an absolute miracle if we won. And I think there are so many things that actually needed resolving on the pitch as well as off the pitch. You know, everything from our organisation on the pitch, how people, um, how people hit um, rocks. our pod systems, uh, our defensive alignments, all of those things need sorting out, even before you start talking about the number of penalties we give away, Um, you know, so there are personal responsibilities as well as organisational responsibilities that need to be sorted out. And all of those things take time. And those are the things that Ireland have got in spades at the moment. You know, they haven't got necessarily the best players individually but they are so well organized you know in that game against France France could still be playing now and they you know they'd have struggled to crack the uh, the Irish defense you know it was so well organized and it pressed them and pressed them and pressed them. and France are the you know the best at you know broken play and everything but they couldn't do anything about it so I, I think we've got a lot to do on the pitch and I think it, it's really unfair to expect miracles from the players, given the situation and things that they're in now. You know, we, we've got to show some understanding about that and just hope that we, we can put on a decent performance. And, you know, I'm sure they'll go out and, and do their best, as, as players always do, you know, and I'm sure that they'll fight for the shoot. But I, I, think, it, I think we will struggle.
1: Absolutely. Can I just ask one quick question, because we did say he was going to talk about it, and we didn't quite get on to it. Um, we could just go on very quickly. The story emerged um, from Stephen Thomas Wales online, very good reporter. Uh, he was saying that uh, even trailfinders could join the Welsh Rugby Union and merge or replace one of the four current regions. Now, like I said, Steph's a good reporter, so I'm sure there's no smoke about fire. But what did you make of that here when you saw that story? Should we be concerned? Do you think there's anything in it, or...? Well, I, I think
0: I think I tweeted it was a great scoop from Steph, um, yeah. but it's it's the daftest of daft ideas, you know. <laughs> it's it is it's an idea, you know, where you can see somebody sort of saying, "Oh God, we're in a real hole at the moment." You know, what if one of these clubs goes bust? What are we actually going to do? Oh God, we've, we're, we're committed to URC. We've we've committed to four teams. That we're going to find somebody else quick. Go find another team to play Who will, who do we think? You know, you can see the panic. You can almost smell the panic. (laughs) Ealing trail finders. Yeah. They haven't thought about the implications of that. You know, it just totally lacks any form of strategy and reeks of mismanagement of the highest order. who's got affinity for an East London, you know, West London club? Like Ealing Trail Finders, you know, you would be playing in Ealing and some of the games could going to be in, in, in Wales and where in Wales, what, what is it all about? You know, it's just stupid. It is just bizarre. You know, it, well, that's you my concern see, though. You my concern. this is so stupid that <laughs> yeah. you go, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's well, <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, you can imagine, you know, that you could see, you know, sort of Mel Brooks and things. You know, sort of behind this. You know, it is that bizarre. It's like the producer, that's the produces. You know, it's it is just insane. Somebody should be turning around and saying, No, that is not gonna happen, you know. Go find somebody else, go find come to of NFC or whoever, but it's not gonna be Ealing Trailfinders.
2: But doesn't it come from Ealing Trailfinders <laughs> are basically the remnants of London Welsh? When London Welsh went pop, um there was a thing at the time I can't remember what it was, but there was something about either they shared a, a trading facility with Elin Trailfinders or a lot of the backers went over to so I think a lot of the people who used to be involved in London Welch may have gone over to Elin Trailfinders and now all of a sudden Elin Trailfinders has got a, a bucket load of cash and everybody loves them. Yeah,
0: I think that's the benefits is that it's got a benefactor who can sign up to this idiotic PRA situation that has been required yeah. for everybody else. You know, to, you know. It could be that Welsh rugby is moving to London. You know. All the Welsh teams go bust. You know. Ah, but the good news is, guys, we've got some Welsh teams in London that you can go watch. <laughs> we'll run some buses. You know. <laughs> we'll do a deal with Wheaton's Travel. You know, they're on board. You know. It's just, you, you know, you, you can see the thing. You can do a great sketch out of this. it's just bizarre.
1: Oh it, Welsh Rugby, it, eh? Yeah, it's got
2: Welsh Rugby written all over it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it
1: has. <does. laughs>
2: oh dear. Uh, on that note then, Hugh, uh thank you very much for your time this evening. It's been an absolute yeah. pleasure talking to you. And um you're uh, yeah. Yeah, you Yeah. Hopefully fingers crossed yeah. we'll dig ourselves out of this. But yeah, thank you for your time. It's very yeah. good. Yeah, you. you're welcome. Thanks, guys. Cheers.
1: Thank you, Hugh. Cheers. Ta-da.
2: Thank you for listening to this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it enough to come back next week and listen again. So please do subscribe, rate, and review the pod as it really helps us on most of the platforms that we appear on. You can keep the conversation going on Twitter and Facebook by searching for us or WRAP. Or you can email us on Welsh Regional Rugby Pod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to do some more of the same. We hope you'll come and enjoy us, and in the meantime, enjoy your rugby. Sports
1: Social Podcast Network.
2: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today
2: to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry,
0: sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.